0: Welcome to the wild soul cast. I'm your host, Anna Kinkela. This is a sacred space where we hold deep conversations on spirituality, conscious leadership, feminism, creativity, and how to more meaningfully and intentionally nurture connection within ourselves and with others. to episode one of the Wild Soulcast. I'm so excited to dive into this week's episode because this week's episode is all about subversion, one of my favorite topics and really one of the ways that we can encourage ourselves to live a wild and authentic life. So this week we are talking with an amazing, amazing woman, Blair Atkinson who is the creator of The Subversive Supper, an online blog that details her life and her family's life and her experience living and managing a modern homestead. We really talk about how to subvert food, how to subvert our life, and also how we can truly be in recovery whether that's from alcohol or whether that's in recovery from the expectations that we've had of ourselves or others have had of us um, in terms of our life and how we live it. And so it's really about how can we return to the core of ourselves? How can we eliminate some of the things that cause us to disconnect from our inner world and some of the things that really create a divide within us. Another important piece that comes through in this podcast is that in order to create change, whether we're looking to do it in our own life or whether we're really looking to create larger ripples in the world, that we really have to start with our own life. We really have to start with our own places of subversion and that that's where we create the ripples. That is how we affect change. And so certainly there are many things that we can do on a community, perhaps on a global level to help create shifts, but ultimately how we model subversion and how we embody that in our own lives is where we all have to start. And sometimes where we all have to return to whenever we feel frustrated by what's going on in the world and whenever we feel helpless to change what's going on in the world. It's always about coming back to your daily practice, about coming back to how you show up in your life and in your business and focusing on that and starting there and really using that as your touch point. This episode is also going to be A wonderful resource for anyone who is looking to start their own modern homestead or anyone who's actually just really looking to shift the way you consume and approach food in your life. So I'd really encourage you to check out the resources that are posted in the show notes and also to check out Blair's blog for more inspiration. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast so you can get updated when the newest episode is posted, and if you are inspired to leave a review, would love to hear from you and what you are enjoying about the podcast so far. So here is Blair.
1: Welcome, welcome to the Wild Soulcast. I'm your host, Anna Kinkela. And today, I'm really excited to have the pleasure to be joined by Blair Ekinson, who is the creator behind The Subversive Supper, a blog about the art of living in a modern homestead. Welcome to the show, Blair.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. Um, So, you know, because um, I talk a lot about wildness and the show is... Um, about how to embody wildness, Um, I wanted to start off by asking you, what does it mean for you to embody wildness in your life? And how do you practice that?
2: Um, I guess I would define embodying wildness uh, in my life as finding the freedom of living in integrity with myself, being open and willing to be vulnerable enough to be real about who I am. Uh, The pretty positive parts of that are easy, but the dark or flawed parts, the parts of me that struggle um, being real about that as well. Um, Being true to myself in spite of the expectations and assumptions that uh, society or loved ones or I can keep on myself. Um, this requires a lot of self-exploration and introspection to recover the, the raw, real, real parts that I've built walls around to protect, but to, um, to do it is freeing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's what we all want. We want to be, be free to be ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I love the piece where you talked about embracing um, the uncomfortable parts of yourself because I feel like um, a lot of us struggle with that. And it's much easier to focus on the positive and the beautiful things. And so I just wanted to get your take on how you practice that in your life, how you've been able to hold those parts of yourself.
2: Well, it has been and still is a process of getting there. I have done pretty much everything I can to to avoid it. to come out from it Um, but I would say now that I I take it serious take it seriously to sit with those those parts myself I meditate um I write um I I talk about it with my wife um I use those all as tools to to process and to acknowledge it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. And it is totally a process and a practice for all of us. Yeah. So I really want to hear more about um, the subversive supper and um, hear just more about what the blog is about and what inspired you to create the blog. Um, And I have a ton of questions just around, you know, what it means, um, for you to be subversive and how you pair that with food and what that means in relationship to food. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you can just kind of talk a little bit about the blog first so that our listeners know what it's about, um, as an introduction and, um, then just give us a little bit of a sense of what it means to, um, why you title it subversive and, what does that have to do with food? Because I think um, not many people necessarily have that association with food, and so I'm curious to learn more about that part. Okay. Um,
2: well, my blog, The of Supper, it kind of chronicles um, my family's modern-day homestead. You could also call it a micro-farm, which might be more, a more familiar term for people. talked a lot about the reasons why we're doing what we're doing, um, which is our passion for food justice and feeding our child um, nourishing, healthy, clean food, and why this is important, and some practical ways that people can implement it in their life, whether they have you know, 50 acres, or they live in an apartment, um, there are definitely, definitely things you can, you can do to take some control over your diet. And, um, I use... I went with the title The Subversive Supper because uh, being subversive is being disruptive to the status quo. It's challenging the institution's that be, and what is readily accepted, often blindly so. Mm. Um, And I think our American food system is a great example of an institution that needs challenging Uh, the sugar, the processing, GMOs, horrendous treatment of animals, exploitation of the earth, uh, just the overall industrialization of food, um, and the complete disconnect that most people have from this source of life um, I think that, take, that by taking back your power over how you obtain your food and how you nourish your body uh, is a radical act you can make choices and you have the power to heal your body and heal the world in the face of corporate greed mm-hmm.
1: yeah yeah so I I love like this piece about food as life and we don't often think about that um one of the things that I always think about is energy and we're surrounded by different types of energy, but there's also energy that we put in our bodies and energy that exists in our bodies. And so really like starting with food and what we put in our body has such a correlation to um, the energy we hold and the energy that we put out. And so I'm wondering if that, if that's something that you think about in those terms or if there's a different way that you um, think about it um yeah i'd love to hear your thoughts on
2: that uh absolutely i i mean i think it's another example of how everything is interconnected and dependent um on each other and affects affects everything you can't can't separate one thing from the from the other and just with anything else uh the choices you make the the food you put in your body is either going to heal you or harm you or uphold um you know the state of state of your body and um, and how your how your body functions is you know is is everything it's it's your mind and your spirit and uh what potential you reach and um so yeah I mean food is, is definitely definitely energy
1: <laughs> yeah and we've I think we've stopped really paying attention to food in this country and um you know I think we live in a really like fast culture. Right. And so, um, we're so focused on getting things done versus maybe nurturing ourselves and what that looks like and what that means. so everything that you're talking about is, um, so crucial for that bringing intentionality back, um, into just nurturance. Yeah. I love that. Um, so, you know, it, I kind of want to just understand even how um, how this idea came about for you um, and how this passion for this way of life was inspired um, and what you did, what action steps you did to make this happen. Um, Just because you're probably the only person that I know myself that's, you know, um, went off and and did this and created a homestead. And so I'm just kind of wondering what that path looks like and why it became such a passion for you.
2: Well, my wife and I started dreaming up what we have now a good long while ago, but how it became my dream. um, Well, eight years ago, When I met my now wife, I was in the midst of searching for, uh, how to live my life in a meaningful way. And in the first year that we were in a relationship, we went backpacking across country, um, staying and working on farms and intentional communities. Mm -hmm. And... Of course, that was mixed with, you know, the whole beginning stages of falling in love and and everything. So it's all kind of braided together and it's just a wonderful time in my life. But I saw what I wanted. I saw people who were living their life undistracted and who were... I, I don't know, cutting out the middleman and doing, like, the real fundamental things, growing their food and just using their bodies to, to make what they needed. And it had a huge impact on me. Mm-hmm. Um, then we moved after that, that trip, which lasted a A good long while, six months or so. Uh, We moved to San Francisco from Richmond, Virginia. And we lived there for a few years. And I loved it. I mean, what's not to love? It's (laughs) a wonderful city and it was a great time. But I longed for nature and space And we wanted to start a family. And I wanted to raise a family um, with a reverence for nature and and life and the natural world. So we started working jobs on top of our full-time jobs. To save as much money as we possibly could. And we decided that Ithaca, New York was where we wanted to put our roots for its progressive, like minded uh, community. And it was back on the East Coast where all our families were. Um, so then, over the next three years, I gave birth to our daughter, Ophelia. And we moved five times, living in four different states, mm. and it was a baby, and it was crazy.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine. That sounds super stressful.
2: Yeah, but you know, we had a dream, you know, that was that can fuel a lot. Yeah, so we underland and with the help of a construction manager we designed our home which is a passive solar design it's solar powered energy star certified um it was made from all local materials and we drained our savings and we built it and uh, we're learning everything as we go um but I guess the bottom line is we had a dream and we just started acting. We just started taking action. And
1: And it definitely wasn't from today to tomorrow. So it it took a while to build. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, So, you know, with, with everything that you've built and how you live now um, I mean, I would imagine that most of your life revolves around food, both from, you know, um, planting it, taking care of it and making it um, takes a lot of time. So I'm just wondering, you know, and I think as women, we, we have, um, every woman has her own relationship with food, right? And spending so much time with food, I'm kind of curious to see how your relationship with food has evolved, in what it is now and what it was in the past and kind of even the role that this has played in shifting your relationship with food too.
2: Uh, yes, my relationship with food. Um, my relationship with food has historically been a very painful one. Um, I've used it as a weapon against myself. i used it to wield punishing power over myself. Um, I struggled really hard with anorexia um, for, for years, and it took me uh, a very long time to find peace with eating. And it's been a long process, but I've also used food to heal myself and as a way to care for my loved ones. Um, I felt the power of breastfeeding my baby. I felt the power of growing food that nourishes my family. So where I am now is that I know my relationship with food will always always be complicated, but I also know now that I have the ability to transmute what used to be painful into something that feels very powerful and very positive Mm -hmm. to me now.
1: Yeah, I can imagine that having your hands in the dirt and being so involved in that process um, does something different in how you feel about the food that you put in your body. And so um, do you see... Um, you know, everything that you've created as something that has helped to shift your relationship with food from one of, you know, using it as a way of punishing yourself to something different? Or do you feel like that kind of still, you know, is different from day to day that there's still struggles? And I mean, I think that it's natural to have those, right? But just kind of curious about how different that experience is for you now, or maybe even the same. Um,
2: Well, I guess the struggle now is I am very aware that though it's in a very positive way now, food still has a huge control control over my life. And to stay mindful about what what that's actually doing to me and if, if it's actually positive and... And so far nowadays, this is—I mean, I guess this is my way of, of being like, okay, I see that I, I see that food has this control over me. It's—it's it's not going anywhere. It's not something you can put aside. You have to eat, and you have to—you uh, have to maintain that relationship with food um, for as long as you're in a body. And so, you know, it's hard to say how much of this is, is actually rooted in that, but I, I think a good bit of it is. It's my way of, like I said, transmuting what used to be a painful uh, control over me into, into something that's um, empowering.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's you know even I think the recognition that there's still like this piece of control is a powerful thing um, to sit with and um, it's just maybe the control has changed it kind of sounds like um, the tone of the control has changed over time yes yeah thank you for sharing that um, so I you know one of the things that I really love about your website, your blog is like these pieces of poetry that you've put in and books. And, um, I love one of these quotes, um, that you put on there, which just says like the resistance starts at home. And so I am, you know, I, I know that in the beginning you brought up how you see this as, um, resistance and a political act. And I'd love to kind of hear a little bit about um, how you see this being connected to feminism, politics in general, um, and just what that quote is about for you. um, And just a little more detail.
2: Well, I think a lot of people can relate to the desire to affect change and If you can, then you know that that is unshakable. Uh, I know I've clocked a lot of hours in an existential crisis of sorts, (laughs) struggling to figure out a way to do something that matters, some way to contribute something meaningful to the world. Um, And I think it makes sense to feel insignificant when you wonder if anything you do matters or overwhelmed if you feel like everything that you're doing matters Mm. because it does we're like i said before i think we're all interconnected and dependent upon each other every single thing we do affects our our bodies our spirits others the earth the future um we hold that influence just by just by being you can't give it up Mm -hmm. and um that's a lot of responsibility but i also think that that's powerful stuff and because that means that you don't necessarily have to find a grand cause to champion to affect change because every little thing that you do matters um so what I mean is right now, right where you are, you can practice, you know, resistance to the power and structures that be that making this by making the decision to um, make choices that heal practice, making all the little things count um, approach life with reverence um, be intentional and uh well there's a quote that i have hanging in our house that i think says it perfectly can <laughs> read it and it is Ours is not the task of fixing the entire world all at once, but of stretching out to mend the part of the world that is within our reach. Any small, Tom thing that one soul can do to help another soul to assist some portion of the suffering world will help immensely.
1: Mm. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I, it's so easy for... Um, us to get overwhelmed with everything that's happening in the world, especially right now. And we want to help in all of these different areas. And I, you know, I've definitely gotten frustrated and I know folks have gotten frustrated with not being able to make what they perceive as a lot of change in the world. And so this piece about, um, doing like your little part and just focusing on the small steps and doing what you can is powerful. Um, I think that quote that you used, which I think is actually an Audre Lord quote, the personal is political, right. Mm-hmm. And, um, it does help us understand that we're not separate from anyone. Every little ripple affects everything else. And so I always think about like when we align ourselves with nature Um, we get more connected within ourselves and the more connected we are within ourselves, then we just start to also see like the web of interconnection between everyone else too. And nature does that so beautifully. You see how one thing affects something in nature and it's, you know, it's like, it's, everything is an ecosystem in one way or another. Um, Mm -hmm. So what you're doing is, you know, you're doing your part to be part of that, web of interconnection so you affect a ripple I think that's really beautiful mm-hmm. um so is this you know I know that we all practice subversion and resistance in our life in lots of different ways especially if we want to kind of shift the dominant narrative um change things in the world are there other ways that are important for you um, to be subversive other things that you, know, you, um, you do in your life that you feel like represent subversion in another way?
2: Well, there's, well, I feel like just the very nature of my little family can be subversive, being that we're a couple of dyke moms. Um, and besides being subversive with, the decisions um, about producing our food. We uh, do so with energy, by having a solar-powered home. We practice a low-waste lifestyle. Um, Last year, we only produced about 50 pounds of waste per person, which to put into perspective, the national average is about sixteen hundred pounds a year per person. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have to think about more than what you're putting in your trash can, like clothes that you buy and then rid of. You know, oh my like, God. all of that yeah. stuff. A lot of weight. So we cool. did a big experiment of like weighing all, yeah, the <laughs> refuse we were
1: producing. That is crazy. 1,600 pounds is the average? Yeah, per person. Oh, my God. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, you cut that down quite a bit. Right, yeah. Composting does a lot. It's <laughs> amazing. But, um, yeah.
2: And another big way that I feel like I am being subversive in my life is be my sobriety. Um I consider myself in recovery from alcohol. Uh recovery in the sense of recovering myself, my wellness, wholeness, confidence, things I'd had lost for a long time. Um I don't have any dramatic tale of a rock bottom um, or anything. I have, I guess, what would be considered a high bottom, and I wasn't suffering any harrowing external consequences, but I was in mental agony. Um, I think this is subversive because the common narrative is that drinking is a, is a given, mm-hmm. that you drink to have fun, to celebrate, to connect, to cope with stress, handle parenting, deal with boredom, heal heartbreak, relax, everything. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that it numbs you and it creates disconnect and you can't selectively numb. It seems like it takes the edge off, but I found that it takes the edge off your spirit and potential too. Um, I realized that I couldn't have the life that I dreamed of or reach my potential. If drinking was a part of my picture, I saw that it was detracting value from my life. So, so I was finally done. It was definitely not the first time I wanted to be done, but it was, but it was the first time it stuck. And for me, it was a moment of throwing in the towel and giving it up. And in doing that, I deviated from that given path. And it has been an empowering life decision. Um, and I found that I'm capable of sitting with my pain and all those that we mentioned earlier um and don't need to numb it and living my life with eyes wide open and showing up fully present and choosing an authentic life and um I see that as a subversive and radical act
1: yeah yeah it definitely is I'm wondering you know I know that Um, There are tons of women who struggle with alcohol in one way or another. And, you know, I think that um, definitely to your point, there is a normalization in our culture of using alcohol as a way to make ourselves feel better. And it's very normalized. Um, And, you know, we're just so used to having it socially and engaging with others socially with alcohol all the time. And so I'm wondering, like, for you, what made um, sobriety stick that one time? And if you have any kind of advice for folks who are in a similar situation, kind of what helped you reconnect with yourself and made something, how did it stick for you? What made the difference? That is a very
2: difficult. Gosh, <laughs> There's a lot there, huh? <laughs> yeah. To put into words what it was that made it stick, it's I I was talking not too long ago with my wife about it and being like it's such a hard thing to define. It was really just a you know I think some people call it a coming to God moment a. I don't know, or a surrender or, or something. It was just, you know, I, I was just done. I was tired of letting myself down in the sense of I wanted more. I knew I was capable of more, but... I just kept checking out. And so it's hard to, hard to put it towards what what it was that made it stick, but some things that have helped it remain stuck, um, Would be that I had my my wife also got sober with me, and so I have that built in amazing support, which um, I know is not the case for a lot of people. Uh, And just like with everything else, we're just like on this journey together, supporting each other, and it makes a lot of things possible. But you know, I also surrounded myself with people who were willing to, uh, were willing to talk about it, talk about all the uncomfortable parts of it, because people are very resistant and defensive about not just with alcohol, but just talking about the uncomfortable parts of life. And, and so, you know, the same same is true for for sobriety and recovery. Um, whether that's because it makes them feel uncomfortable about reflecting on their own relationship with it, or whatever, they just a lot of people don't want to go there. So, surrounding myself with people who um, who got it and who who wanted to talk about it and explore. Explore that
1: was was, was pivotal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, having supportive people in your life is such a huge part of that equation. Um, And one of the things that you said to me when we were kind of messaging back and forth is, um, you know, women being in recovery or recovering themselves. And there are so many meanings to that. And, you know, even in this podcast, we covered like, Recovering from food, our relationship with food, um, an unhealthy relationship, right? Recovering from a relationship with alcohol. And oftentimes we see this in extremes in our society. Like you either have to be like have such a huge problem that your whole life falls apart um, or you don't have a problem with it at all. And mm-hmm. the reality is, is we all have these relationships with whether it's food, alcohol, Um, exercise, anything else in our life that kind of helps us to make the uncomfortable feelings go away. Mm -hmm. And um, it feels like as a culture, we're kind of also addicted to just feeling positive and chasing the positive things in life and feeling good all the time. And that seems to kind of contribute to us getting into like these really unhealthy relationships with whatever it is for you um, and so it's like really that ability to sit with the uncomfortable that seems like such a key for mm-hmm. for us as individuals and and I don't know you know if you have any you know thoughts on that or how you've seen that play out for you or other people and, and what's been the most helpful with the discomfort because um, I know I use tons of meditation too but there's um, everything in our culture is telling us run away from it. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. Do something to to numb it. To not pay attention to it.
2: Um, yeah, I think what you said about uh,
1: our culture being very like
2: chasing this this positivity and uh, it, but I think it's so often it's not authentic. It's this. Upbeat Pollyanna kind of positivity. It's not this authentic, genuine gratitude, yes. and that that's that you could, that you could make up if you tried. And it's really, I mean, you can't. That's not something you can really force, but. I mean, it's just, you just got to be real with yourself. I don't know. It's so hard. It's like, you just have to be real. Is this really something? Are you really satisfied? Or is this something that's really bringing value to your life? And you just have to be willing to be honest with that and... I don't know. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know how you you just have to sit with it.
1: (laughs) It's so, it is really hard. And I think like one of the ways I do that with my clients is through practicing meditation, right. And sitting with some of the uncomfortable parts that come up in our body and all of that. Um, But I love what you said, like the piece about like genuine positivity um, because you know, it isn't, that positivity is bad. I mean, I think it's a huge piece of shifting our perspective and like there needs to be some of that. And it has to be genuine. It has to be embodied. It has to come from a real place versus I'm putting, um, on a certain version of what I think this should look like. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's always like, seems like it's like seeking positivity outside of the self instead Mm -hmm. of like finding, that within yourself and what that really what that experience is really like
0: Mm
1: yeah um yeah I love what you said about that so I know that you know one of the things that can often come up around like being responsible with food and putting good things in our body um, and especially like the scale at which you built like your homestead um, just in terms of for someone who's living in the city, right, in comparison. I'm um, wondering, like, what are small ways that you can be subversive with your food, um, even if your dream isn't necessarily to have a homestead, Um just kind of some tips and tricks for folks, Um, especially I know because a lot of times people like when we talk about eating organic food, um, you know, some folks will talk about how it's really cost prohibitive and it is cost prohibitive for a lot of people. And so just kind of wanting to get your perspective on how people can um, start to live this way or, you know, in accordance with some of these values that you've talked about, Um, you know, if, if there are cost constraints um, and if they do live in an urban space?
2: I mean, I think first and foremost is just if you become aware and intentional about what you're putting in your body, that is and amounts past how a lot of people are, are, are with food, Go to farmers markets, buy local, buy at co-ops. If you don't have those options, support organic. Like you said, these things can be cost prohibitive. If there is a way to swing it, I definitely think um, it's worth shifting where you're putting your money because it's... It's an investment. It's an investment in your health, um, in your well-being, in your community. So, if there is any way, I think it's I think it's something that should be priori- prioritized. But then beyond that, if you're at the grocery store, buy food that's you know doesn't come in plastic containers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that helps with waste and with lots of other things like, you know, that plastic brings with hormone, dis- hormone disruption and everything. But mm-hmm. um, you can do things like uh, sprout sprouts in your kitchen, which is way cheaper than buying them at the store. Mm-hmm. Um, and very simple to do. You can grow herbs or microgreens in your windowsills or on a balcony. It might cost a little bit at first to get some soil in pots, but it's way cheaper in the long run to buy seeds and grow some of this stuff, even if you have limited space. Um, Compost your vegetable scraps or use them to make things like vegetable broth and i think the biggest way to you know subvert your food is to try and find peace in your relationship
1: with food Mm -hmm. yeah that's huge yeah um so a lot of the things that you're um talking about i love the idea of sprouting things in your own apartment um and I'm gonna to have to start doing that. Now <laughs> you're gonna inspire me to do that <laughs> um, is there are there any like great resources you can recommend for starting like something small like that in your house or anything you need to know in particular? I'm personally like I don't do well with plants at this point in my life. it's a practice <laughs> <laughs> to kill them inadvertently and um it's one of my places of Improvement and growth. Um, so, um, I'd love to kind of know any resources that you would have for starting something small like that.
2: My Bible resource for all this is mother earth news. It was, and it it's a magazine and a website and its tagline is the original guide to living wisely. And at this point it probably has like 40 years worth of resources and it just has anything you could ever want to know. Just like go to their site and use their search bar to find any information on how to do any of this stuff. Um, and there's a great site, localharvest.org. And there you can find your, all your local markets and CSAs and local farmers
1: um, in your area. Wonderful. Awesome. I'm going to take a look at our website. So I want to ask one last question. And I know some of our listeners um, may be really inspired by your story and maybe they've been thinking about starting their own homestead for a while. Um, And I'm just kind of wondering what are some things that you wish you'd known um, as you started this journey? What's been really important in your process to know as someone's building Well,
2: I wish I would have known it would take longer than I thought it would take.
1: That's how it always ends up, right? You're like, "Oh, this is gonna take like a year."
2: Yeah, Yeah. a year. I'll be, you know, farming. (laughs) No, but it's worth it's worth it. Um, I would say, I would say, do it. I would say, pursue your dream. It will be more work than you plan on it to be Uh, so you know triple your expectations but it will be worth it and um, even if not for anything more than proving to yourself that you are someone who will lay yourself on the line for what you believe in and to pursue your dreams um, you need to be self-driven There is nobody who's going to review review your work or pat you on the back. (laughs) There's no incentive in the form of a paycheck, at least not yet. Um, So you need to want it enough. Um, and You need to look at it as an investment um, because it does cost money. Uh, You need money to start it. You need money coming in to support you doing the work until you can market it but it is an investment you will be repaid in health and purpose and um, it's an investment in a business you know I'm positive that we will be making a living off of it you know one day soon. I would like to say like two years, but that probably means 10. <laughs> um, <Double> and, <laughs> yeah. and you're investing in a future for everyone and everything. You're investing in the future of the planet. Um, but in the meantime, start right where you are right now. Start a garden, get a beehive, compost, just get started and it will
1: excite you and fuel your passion keep going yeah and I love how you talk about food as really an investment and um you know I think organic can feel really expensive can be really expensive in the budget and some of these things can feel like a big investment but at the end of the day like the most important thing is your health because if you don't have that you won't be able to do much else um,
2: right. and even in like really dollar for dollar ways of looking at it you eating healthy means you will uh get less colds in the air and cold medicine adds up i mean you're gonna, if you get a cold you're going to be dropping like 30 dollars on over-the-counter medication Yeah. To like get through your days and those i mean those are all they're, they're trade-offs they come out you know they they, they equalize each other
1: yeah and I mean as usual we're looking at long-term versus short-term right Mm -hmm. and it is so easy for us to really focus on short-term um it can be easier and um looking at the long-term effects of something in our life is super important
2: Mm -hmm. and I mean I I recognize that that's also from a place of privilege totally yeah you know some people are and in you know, situations where they really have no wiggle room to be doing any of this stuff. And so I'm yeah. completely aware of that. And
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and it's, I mean, I think part of what you're saying is also do what you can. Mm-hmm. Every little bit counts. So, you know, do what you can. And I think your blog is also a, actually an excellent resource for... Like recipes like some of the stuff you posted on there i really want to try out so um i will drop the link and resources in the comments of the podcast so you can you guys can check it out well thank you so much for joining me blair it was so amazing to have you on thank you for sharing your story with me and with all of the folks listening in um and so If you want to know a little bit more about Blair and the Subversive Supper, I highly recommend you check out her blog. And until next time, um, have a beautiful, beautiful day, beautiful week. um, And we'll see you on the next episode.